0: Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues the series, Church Talk. In this message, Brandon defines the word justification as being treated as innocent because of Jesus. That is something for us to be excited about, and it's time for us to stop trying to justify our own desires and instead accept and live out the freedom God gave us. Good morning. morning. Hope you guys are doing good. Thank you for getting up early and coming in this morning. Good, good time. How about the weather? Anybody loving the weather? Man, oh man. Yeah, it's good stuff. Real quick, I want to do something that's a little different. Um, if you're visiting here, we don't do this every week, but I want to just do something. If you're under the age of 24, I want you to stand up real quick. Under the age of 24. Right. Woo! Y'all give them a hand. How many of you could say that when you were 24 or younger, maybe when you were drugged to church by your parents, but other than that, how many of you could say that's where you were? Not me. All right. Um, Go ahead and be seated. Now, all the old people, 25 and older, let's stand up. If you're over 25, stand up this morning. Let's give them a hand. Some of y'all didn't stand up, but that's okay. Listen, isn't it cool to be in a church where there are, is such a, a, a youth movement that there's energy that comes in the doors? Not that us old people don't have energy, but there's energy, but also to have the wisdom um, that comes with us old people, right? Um, and some of you have a lot more wisdom than I do um, because you're a lot older than me, but that's good. We need wisdom. And so I just wanted to celebrate that for a minute. I just think that's the most awesome thing that we can come in here and and how God is putting together such a diverse uh, group of people from all different backgrounds, different ages, um, everything, and how we can come in and worship a risen Savior. So thank you for participating in that with me uh, this morning. But I just wanted to let you see and let the older people see too that there are other people like you here. Okay. But we're glad you're here. Um, real quick, don't forget next week, the 10th at, uh, I believe it's 5 o'clock, Scarecrow Chili Cook-Off. It's going to be an awesome time of fellowship, plus you get to eat chili, and you get to make a really cool Scarecrow. Um, just come out, and we'll have a good time. Just come fellowship, if nothing else. But it'll be a big time, so hope that you will come. Today, we are continuing church talk. We've been looking at words that we use in church a lot, but sometimes we don't know what they mean. Um, we think about this a lot because sometimes people who've never been to church or haven't been in a long time come in. And we're throwing these words around left and right, like justification, sanctification, um, saved. I mean, it's like saved from what? You know, Um, all these different words that we've become accustomed to because we've been in church and we may have a little bit of an understanding. We've been looking at these words so that we can have a a way to communicate in our own lives to people who maybe are far from God why we believe what we believe. And today the word we're going to look at is um, justification. I was amazed that John could get justification in that little box, but he did it, Um, and so uh, it's not up there now if you missed it earlier. We'll play it again so you can see it, but um, today we're going to continue looking at this, and that is the word we're going to tackle. If you have your Bibles, um, Romans chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 21, verse 21 of Romans chapter 3, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that, Christ, that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your strength. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, God. I pray that that he would come here now and rule and reign in our hearts. And and God, that we would open our our hearts, that we would have ears to hear what you say to us, what the Spirit says to us today. And God, I pray that you speak a very clear message to us today, that we could hear you, that your word would sink deep into our hearts, find good soil, and produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what is sown here. God, help us to see others come to the life-changing and life-saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, one thing I try not to do here, because I've got so many stories about this one topic, I try not to bombard you with baseball stories, right? Because baseball, from the time I was 4 to the time I was 24, that was like my life, right? I mean, I loved it. That was kind of, it actually, for a large part of my life, was my idol, um, was baseball. Um, and, and I try not to tell a lot of stories, especially about college baseball, because when I tell these stories, I feel like sometimes it almost sounds like I'm saying, well, I play college baseball. And really, um, trust me, when I tell a story about me playing college baseball, it is not that glorious, because basically, I was what they call an ERW. I, I like eat, ride, and watch. That was, that was my main function. Um, I was just good enough to be on the team, probably the least talented person on the team. And, and uh, so it was not that glamorous. But one thing that was pretty interesting is when I did get to college and I had an opportunity to play for a very small, small, small scholarship, um, I get there and I'm thinking, man, what are they going to teach me first? they going to teach me how to hit? Are they going to teach me how to throw? Are they going to teach me how to steal a base? Because if they could teach me how to steal a base as slow as I was, they'd be doing something. But I, I get there and it was crazy because the first thing they taught us was not how to hit or throw. They brought out a bunch of baseballs and we learned how to sign a baseball. That's absolutely insane, right? And, and so the first thing they teach us is that there is actually an etiquette to signing a baseball. And, and if I have what I can show you, it's, it's kind of where you just go around like a little horseshoe part and you sign. But it look, ends up looking really cool. And usually the head coach will sign in the very center of the ball. And, and it's just this way of doing it so that it's not like, you know, just names scattered everywhere. So they taught us how to sign a baseball. And it was really weird to me because I don't know that I'd ever given my autograph to anybody but it was kind of cool because they, somebody wanted me to sign a baseball. I was like, this is awesome, man. Put my, you know, you sign your name and your number and all that good stuff. And, uh, and so, uh, anyway, we were signing balls. And after games, it was always funny because between the dugout and the locker room that we had, kids would line up right there with baseballs. Maybe they caught a ball or whatever. And they would line up for us to sign balls on the way into the dugout. And I remember the first few times this happened, I almost felt guilty signing the ball. And the reason I felt guilty is because I was like, I don't even play. I was like, why am I signing this ball? And I would almost want to explain to him, listen, kid, that guy right there, he's really good. He's probably going to get drafted. You should get his autograph because mine is worth nothing, right? It's no good. And, and I, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how they wanted my autograph, not because I was something, not because I, they never even seen me play. I could have been an axe murderer for all they knew, right? But they wanted my autograph. And so they wanted my autograph not because I was any good, not because I was all that, not because I had done anything, but because I wore the uniform. That was the whole reason. Just because I had on a Georgia Southern uniform, they wanted me to sign a baseball. As I was thinking about justification this week, and I was thinking about what that word actually means, I was thinking about that is a perfect picture of justification. That is what what justification is. It is God placing the, the, the perfection of Christ on our life. It is God um, um, justifying us as though we had never sinned before in our life, placing that on us, and it's nothing we've done. It's nothing we could attain. It is just God placing this upon us, and because of Him, we are made righteous. It's not a righteousness that we could attain. It is simply God saying, I'm gonna place this on you, and just like when I wore that uniform people wanted my autograph, it made me appear to be something. When we are covered uh, in the grace and the mercy of God, God sees us as Christ. You get that? Does that make sense? That just because we wear Christ, we are viewed as something. That's awesome. All right, everybody wake up. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. See, now, you're usually, believe it or not, y'all are usually the most lively crowd. You really are. And maybe that's not saying anything for the 1045 group. But you really are. So this is going to be fun. We're going to have a good time. But just because we wear Christ, we become something. We become a child of God. We become forgiven. We attain the righteousness that we could have otherwise never earned on our own. That is awesome that God would do that for us, right? That's good news that God would say, I'm going to give you something that you can't attain. I'm going to make you something, not because you did it, but because you simply let me put Christ on you. So I'll see you differently so that you can have the perfection of Jesus. That, in a nutshell, is what justification is is, listen to this, I want to give you a real simple definition. This is out of the BIV, the Brandon International Version of the Bible. The definition that I I came up with as I studied and I tried to put it all together in a real simple deal is to be treated as innocent because of Jesus. Being treated as innocent because of Jesus. Listen, we were all guilty. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Anybody here that's never sinned before? Anybody here that's never made a mistake? Anybody here that's never gotten angry at their wife, angry at their husband, yelled, thrown something, tried to stab them, tried to drown, whatever it is. We've all done something, right? We've all done something. And so we're all in the same boat, but we, because of Jesus, get to be treated as though we didn't. We don't deserve that, but God gives us that simply because we are in Christ we are in him in one word I would say it is right it's right it's being in a right relationship with God it's being treated as though you were righteous perfect so God comes and he makes us perfect um how many of you remember if you maybe you're in a dating relationship you remember how your boyfriend girlfriend came to you and and began to court you woo you draw you to your, to them, um, maybe some of you are married and it's been years and years. But I guarantee you, you can still remember like the things you did. And many of you would be very embarrassed if you told some of the things you did to try to get the attention of your girlfriend, maybe your wife now. Um, notes you wrote that you pray to God that somehow they have dissolved or burned in a fire by now because you'd be embarrassed if, if people saw those. And I was thinking about how those things have changed over the year. I was ta- years. I was talking to a guy at a. Men's Breakfast I do every other week, um, every other Sunday, and he said, uh He said, I remember the day when I would go and and when I would go out on a date, I would call the girl, ask her out, but then it was just standard protocol that I would go to the house, the mother or father would come to the door, I would sit down in their parlor or in like a little gathering room, and I would meet the father and talk to them. And they would check me out and make sure that it was okay for me to go out with their daughter. The next guy that walks up goes, man, I almost killed a guy one time. He's like, I got so angry. I was like, why? He's like, and this is a younger guy. He's got um, young daughters. Um, I say young, who are probably in college now. And he said, one time this guy pulls up and blows the horn. Blows the horn, warning my daughter, and He's like, that don't work around my house. And see, God is wise because he has not given me a girl yet. Um, I'm sorry, but I think we're having a boy again. I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I might be wrong. But if we had a girl and a guy pulled up and blew the horn for my daughter to come out, we would have a bad time, right? I, you know, and, and I'd probably call one of you who was saved but not really been saved that long. Um <laughs> And be like, come over here, and, and you know, you, you, know you, you were saved, but you really hadn't been sanctified, you know what I'm saying? And so I'd be like, come on, and I got this guy, I got him, he's tied up in the backyard, come get him. So if God gives us a girl, first of all, I will pass out in the uh, delivery room, but second of all, I will, uh, I don't know, man, it's going to be bad news for every, every guy her age that ever would come around our house. But we do crazy things, and that whole means of dating and courting, I mean, come on, when, when I was in school, it was usually like a letter, you know, will you go out with me? Yes, no, maybe, you know, check one, right? Um, I got more no's than, yeah, yeah. But um, then today, like I hear about guys who are asking girls out via Facebook, right? I say one thing to that, like, you're chicken, you are scared, man. You need to man up and go get face-to-face and ask this chick out, right? Well, and then now the whole way that we relate this even is different. How many of you grew up at a time when when you were dating somebody, you were an item? Anybody? You ever hear like older people say, well, are they an item? I'm like, I, I, what, I don't even know what that means. What, an item. And then it became going steady. Some, I know some of you grew up during the going steady phase. And then so it was like, are you going steady? That meant it was really serious. Um, and then for my, my age folks, it was going together right? Some of you remember the going together times. It was like, are you going together? I was, I don't know where we go. I don't, I guess we can. <laughs> and so it was, are you going together? Um, and now the new thing is, are you Facebook official? Right? You, you see that it's like so-and-so's in a relationship. And so you're Facebook official and you're like, oh man, that is serious. Like the next thing after Facebook official is like an engagement ring, I think, right? Is that the next thing? And so, you, you, you become Facebook official and then everybody's like, oh my gosh. And like a hundred people like this, you know. <laughs> I like the fact that you're Facebook official. And so, but it's just crazy, man, how we do that and how we go about initiating relationships and how things have changed over the years. But the awesome thing about justification, the awesome thing about God is that the Bible says very clearly that he initiated the, the relationship. See, we hear this all the time. How many of you have ever heard somebody who said, um, I found, I found God. I was, man, I was lost and I found God. No, you didn't. God found you. We talk about God like he was lost in Walmart, you know, like, like God didn't know where he was, right? That he, he, he just was out there some, like he took a wrong turn and finally somebody looked up and found God. And he was like, thank God you got here. Thank me. You got here, you know? (laughs) And, And so, but, but God's never been lost. We just simply open our eyes to what's already there. The fact that he has initiated a relationship with us. How many of you really think that you deserve that today? My goodness. I know me. I know me. I know. I'm going to tell you a story in a little while about me before I was in Christ. That's called BC, before Christ. I know me. I did not deserve God coming to me and establishing a relationship with me. But God revealed himself to me. He revealed his love to me and, and, and feeling like the least of these, the one who didn't deserve it. And yet God comes and he places his love and his grace and his mercy and he calls me his own. He puts me in Christ so that he sees me with perfection and holiness so that I can actually be in a relationship with him. Now that is absolutely amazing that God initiates that relationship with us even when we have run so far from even when we've been sitting in church for 20 30 40 years and we don't know jesus from buddha i mean we don't know him and he's still going tapping us on the shoulder going i'm right here i'm right here i haven't gone anywhere that's an amazing god because here's the truth if he didn't want to be found he wouldn't how many of you want to play a game of hide and seek without god i mean with god I don't want to play that game because he's like out there in the middle of a field and he's like, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, forest. Trees everywhere. He's got the best hiding place ever. You can't win that game, right? Adam and Eve tried it. You go hide, he already knows. He's all right, come out from behind the tree. I mean, you don't want to play that game. When I was um, in youth ministry, um, there was a a kid named Hayden. Um, He was about a sixth, seventh grade boy. And you know, sixth, seventh grade boys can be a handful um, especially in youth when they get around 6th and 7th grade girls um, and they're trying to show off Well, Hayden was a good kid but he was always into something, well we had a lock in which I, I'm pretty sure the devil invented those two, um, especially to, just, just to get the youth pastor, but we did two lock ins um, one year and I got a total of 15 minutes of sleep uh, with both of those combined, because I knew if I went to sleep, like, something bad was happening, right? And so I was up all night. Well, the kids would typically, a lot of them would go to sleep. Well, the next morning, it was about 7.15, 7.30, all the parents came, all the kids were gone, and um, I was, I'm going home, man. I'm, I'm, I am beat. So I go home, I hit the bed. I'm like, as soon as my head hits the pillow, it's one of those things you don't even remember getting home. You're just like, thank God I'm here. You go, and, and you go to sleep, and I, I fell asleep, about nine o'clock, nine thirty, Susan comes in and she walks in and she's like got this scared look on her face. I'm like, What happened? What you know? I was so out of it. And she said do you know where Hayden is? I'm like Hayden who? And she's like Hayden. I was like what? I don't even. I was so confused. I'm like what's going on? She's like they can't find Hayden. Immediately I'm wide awake. I'm like oh my gosh. I was already thinking about my resignation letter. I'm like I'm not doing this. If it means that I'm losing somebody's child, I'm out of this. I'm not doing this anymore because we we searched the whole church, couldn't find anybody. And so I'm like I don't know. So I start calling everybody. I'm like did you see Hayden leave with somebody? Did you see Hayden leave with somebody? I'm like no no no. And so I'm still calling people, kind of getting dressed at the same time to go and start looking for him and then finally we get a phone call and they're like we found Hayden I was like oh really where was he it was around Christmas time and they were in the church in the fellowship hall they were doing a Christmas practice for like a children's recital and they're in there singing had been in there for like 30 45 minutes and then all of a sudden they hear something and they look over it and out from under the piano comes Hayden and he comes crawling out and he's like man He's like looked like he didn't even know where he was. They're like, what are you doing under there? He's like, I've just been asleep. And he had crawled under there during the night sometime and gone to sleep. We had searched that place high and low. We couldn't find him. Finally, he crawls out, and, and everybody's like, oh, thank God, you know. The parents went, picked him up, and I could finally. But then I was like, I was shocked, man. I'd had like an hour and a half worth of sleep. I was wide awake. It was like I was on crank or something. I was like this. I was so scared. I was so scared. But the truth of it is, it's the same way with God. Listen, if God didn't want us to find him, we would have never have found him. If God didn't want to reveal himself to us, we couldn't know him. And there's this thing where, where God reveals himself through general creation. He reveals himself in all these different ways. But then there's a specific revelation that comes when we realize who Jesus really is. When we realize that Jesus did die for us, that Jesus has made a way for us. And God has initiated that, comp- that, that um, relationship with us he's initiated this opportunity for us to come to know him and that's what we have the opportunity to have today but you know it's kind of like getting a new car you know when you first get a new car it is absolutely amazing and some of you when you first got saved it was absolutely incredible but you know what after about a month or two of having a, a, a new car it may not have been brand new but it was new to you um you like find french fries in the seat there's, there's drinks turned. I mean, it just gets nasty, right? Because it's not new anymore. And I think for some of us, we've forgotten exactly what Jesus did for us. We've forgotten that freedom and that amazing um, experience of having Christ come into our lives and begin to relieve us of all the junk that we've been carrying around. And we need to realize that God has initiated this thing. He wants that for us. He wants it to be a real living relationship, just not some religious experience that we have. We go down and say a prayer. We, we get dunked under some water. And then we come up, but nothing's ever different. And so God has initiated this. But even though God initiated it, there was still a problem. It was still a problem. God wanted a relationship, but there was still a separation between us. And him. See, there was still this problem of the fact that we were guilty, that we had, we had messed up, and that God was perfect and we weren't. And there was a chasm there that could not be overcome. And so that is why Jesus came. And I want to talk to you real quick about a couple of things. The, the, the word we're looking at is justification. The word actually means that, 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 that it's just as if you never sinned. It means that you have been forgiven. You have been made clean. Your life. Your life is new. Remember Second Corinthians five seventeen that He's in Christ is new creation. The old is gone; the new has come. It's are new, brand new. And so we come to this, and we think, how could God possibly make a sinner like me become a saint who is worthy of standing in His presence? How does this happen? And it's basically two words: the cross. The cross. That is how God did it. Listen to this verse, and we're going to look at what the cross did for us. We're going to look at how how God used the cross to justify our lives, to make them new, to make us clean, so that we could actually be in the presence of God. Listen to verse 23 in Romans 3. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. I want you to understand this word, redemption, because it is an absolutely incredible word. When Susan was 15, 16 years old... She um, had Hodgkin's disease. It's a form of cancer. She went through the chemo. She went through all of that. Lost all of her hair. You know, for a 15, 16 year old girl, that's pretty, um, pretty dramatic. You know. Um, so during that time, we would do things. We were actually boyfriend girl. We were going together um, back then. And so we were actually together. Um, and, and we would do things to try to keep her mind off of it. She was constantly going, have chemo. She was constantly having to drink this nasty stuff, take all this medicine, all these different things. And, um, we would do things to try to kind of keep her mind off, right? Well, well, who, who's lived here long enough to remember take 10? Anybody remember take 10? Yeah. You're old. You're old like me. Yep. Well, we went to take 10 and one day we're in there and we see these teddy bears, We see um, like all these stuffed animals. Susan loves stuffed animals. I think it went, when she got older, it went from stuffed animals to pillows because now there are more pillows on our bed than than I, no human being needs that many pillows, right? I can't figure it out. But we saw this stuffed animal and we're like, we're getting that stuffed animal. Because you know, you walk into those places and they got them all displayed and you're like, man, I want that so bad. I want, let's get that. And so we started going every day, every afternoon we go for a little while and we play skee-ball Anybody else like skee-ball? Man, it's awesome. Skee-ball's a good, a good game. Um, and we would go and play. But the cool thing was, if you got enough points, tickets started coming out, right? And so we looked at this thing. We're like, we're going to win enough tickets to get that teddy bear. It would have been much wiser for me just to have said, I will write you a $50 check if you'll give me that teddy bear, right? And because we, there's no telling how much money we put in this machine. And so we're, we're playing skee-ball every day, every day. And finally, we got enough tickets to go and do what? redeem those tickets that's what we say right when we get enough tickets to go we we redeem those tickets for a prize we redeem them and we take the ticket and we give them to somebody they give us something back that is what redemption is it is jesus coming and purchasing us back for god but see the problem is we couldn't play enough skee-ball to make ourselves righteous before god there is no way There's no way that we could ever do enough, you can't go to church enough, you can't pray enough, you can't read enough scripture, you can't, you know, help enough little old ladies across the street, you can't do enough to redeem yourself before a holy and perfect God. And so Christ comes and redeems us. The word redemption is actually a word that was used in the marketplace. And what it was used for was when people would go and they would purchase a slave in order to set them free. They would purchase a slave and they would say, now you're free to go. Basically giving them papers saying, go and live your life. You are free. That is the nature and essence of what Christ did for us on the cross. That is why the cross is so important. Because through Christ and his perfect life, his blood that was shed, his life that was given was the purchase price to buy you and I back from the hand of Satan and back from the grip of sin and death. We couldn't do it on our own. We could not do it on our own, but Christ redeemed us through the cross. That's good news. That is awesome, right? That Christ has forgiven us. If we can keep that before us, just remembering that without him, we were lost and we were dead, I think it would change the way we live. Even just the knowledge of that, that if we really believed it, man, I don't know that we'd have a bad day. Because what is there to worry about? If you've been purchased back from the the, the depths of hell, you never have to to bust the gates of hell wide open, then that's something to celebrate. That is something to be excited about. And the redemption of Christ on the cross is, is something that we should keep before us. And remember that if you are in Christ, you have been redeemed. You have been bought back. You no longer belong to Satan. You belong to God. So quit serving the devil and begin to live for God. You don't have to serve him anymore. That bond has been broken. Now live for God. Some of you did a good job living for the devil, didn't you? I did. Man, I was good at it. And anybody that tells you sin is not fun, they didn't do it right. Right? Because you had some fun. I mean, I'm just being honest. But sin leads to death. And I have found more joy. I have found more happiness in the last 10, 11 years of my life when I came to know Christ than I ever had before. There is nothing at the bottom of a bottle that can make you as happy as the joy of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen. I can tell you, and the good thing about Jesus is you don't wake up with your head hurt, right? And so he has redeemed us. He has brought us back from the depths of hell and the hand and the grasp of Satan and sin and death. The next one is this. Let's read on. It says in 24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. Jesus, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, through faith in his blood, the word atonement. Now, literally translated, uh, most people agree that the best way to say that would be a word called propitiation. Propitiation, say that like 10 times fast, right? Pretty soon you don't even know what you're saying. But it's a big word, but um, I, I think maybe the best way to illustrate this is one of those BC moments for me. I'm going to be kind of open and honest with you um, and tell you about a little bit about before Christ for me. Um, we were at St. Augustine Beach when I was about 17, 16, 17 years old. And uh, Susan and I were sitting on the beach talking. It was nighttime. Um, looking at the stars, you know, probably saying some of those things that I'm hoping nobody ever finds out about. Um, and we're sitting there, and you know, you can drive on the beach at St. Augustine. And so we're sitting there. There was a little party going on down here, a bunch of other teenagers down there. And this car starts coming up the beach. And then um the car slowly begins to turn and come straight at us and we're sitting there and they're flying coming through the sand and right when they get to us he spins the wheel real hard and tries to throw sand on us how many of you know that don't fly man that ain't good anybody that would get upset about that come on be honest you're not that safe you know (laughs) you would be upset now i didn't know jesus right I was far from God. That whole love, joy, peace, patience thing, uh uh-uh, it didn't work with me. But I get up and I start, it's probably the dumbest thing I've ever done because like I was going to catch a car, I start chasing this guy down the beach. But then he stops and I run up to the door and I jerked him out and I started beating I didn't really do that, guys. (laughs) Y'all were like, I ain't ever coming back here again. No. But I started chasing this guy down the beach in his car, and they were having so much fun with me because they, were, they would, like, slow down, and I'd get close. I'm like, I got him, I got him, I got him. And then, I, then, then right when I get up to them, they speed up. And this, this went on. If you could have clocked me, man, I bet I ran the fastest mile in the history of the world because I was so angry. And then I start coming back down the beach, and um, Susan's, like, coming running behind me. Stop it, stop it, stop it. You know, she's hollering at me, and she comes up and grabs my arm, and begins to pull me back and, and trying to talk me down from like going back because I was going to clean out the party. That's where I was headed down there. I was like, I might not get them, but I'm going to get their buddies if nothing else. And, and, and so I'm going down there to the party. I was going to get my eyes beat out, y'all, because I am not that bad. But they were about to, they were about to just beat me, probably throw me in the fire. But... I'm going back down, and she grabs my arm. Stop, just calm down, just calm down. And finally, I'm going, and I'm dragging her behind me like this. And, and I'm headed to the... And then finally, she sits down, wraps her legs around my leg, and is holding on to my leg like this, just pleading with me, don't go down there, just calm down. Relax, calm down, don't go down there. All right, I'm going to kill somebody. I'm going to kill somebody. And so, and I'm going and, and trying to get there. but But finally, I see like... The, 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 terror in her eyes. And finally, I'm just like, man, I can't, I can't do this. So my idea was I'll take her back to the room and then I'll slip back out and go down there. And so I'm like, okay, cool. You know, you kind of play that like cool, cool thing. Like, all right, I'm good. I'm good. And so then I get away. Anyway, I get to the room and, and she's like, somebody told him, you know, she's crying. And I'm like, I'm a jerk. And so, um, ended up staying and ended up not getting in a fight, but. When she was pleading with me, when she began to try to appease my anger, that is the picture of propitiation. It is what Jesus did on the cross. See, God, God does, he's not like me. He doesn't just blow his lid black out and start chasing cars around, right? He doesn't do that. But God, he, he can't stand evil. He can't deal with it. It, it has to be dealt with And there is a holy anger that he has towards evil. And 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 it's, it just sets him off, but not like we lose because we don't like to think about God like getting angry. Oh, God flipped out, you know, he lost his lid. No, God just he has to he has to be angry because it's evil. It's evil stuff. Somebody does something evil to you, you get angry. It's, it's God reacting to evil, and that's what we see um, in propitiation is that Jesus took the wrath of God for us on the cross. You remember what Jesus said? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He emptied his wrath upon Christ so that you and I don't have to do that. We don't have to come under the wrath of God. That's good news. The Bible says that we weren't appointed to wrath because we're in Christ. Can you imagine that? That God himself became man so that he himself could take his punishment. Only God, you can't write that. Only God. Only God. And he took the wrath so that you and I don't have to take it. The next thing going on, we've been atoned for. It's the propitiation. It is God's wrath not having to fall upon our lives. It is the fact that you and I, listen, so many people live in a relationship with God in which you're still trying to please him. You, you, your life is, is not lived. You're, you're, not, you're not attaining righteousness through a relationship. You're hoping that, that living righteously will attain a relationship. God's not angry at you if you are in Christ. Relax and enjoy the relationship. Because the only righteousness you are going to attain is when Christ places that righteousness upon your life and then he begins to live it out of you. You can't live right to have relationship. You have relationship and then you begin to live right. But see, the church don't want to tell you that. Because the church is afraid that if you find out you're not guilty anymore, you won't come back. I'm serious. It's, you might not tithe. If if we don't if we don't uh If if I'm not going to be guilty, I might not give as much. You don't give. If you're giving because you feel guilty, don't give. There's no reason to do that. You give because you're thankful. You give as an offering because he was an offering for you. That's why we give. If you're living and you're coming to church because you feel guilty, you're wasting time. I mean, I'm glad you're here because maybe the light will come on and you're going, bing and all of a sudden you'll be like, man, praise God, he forgave me and I can live for him and you come into a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit that begins to live and work out the righteousness of Christ in you. But so many of us are living out of guilt instead of grace. We need to get to a place where we realize the grace of God and in view of his grace and mercy, we begin to be transformed, not conforming to this world anymore, but living lives that honor him. That's what he's called us to. And so he has propitiated us. He He has atoned for us so that we can be in relationship with God. God is not angry at you anymore. And we think about this. How can a man die for my sin? I mean, why why wouldn't I die for my sin? The, The reason is God's fight wasn't with you. It was with sin. He had to overcome sin. The cross was about defeating sin and death. It wasn't about beating you up. But how many times do you go to church and you get beat up? And you leave, you're like, well, you're worth running. I better give more money. That's not what it's about. It's about realizing that, that God has called us into this relationship. He's not angry, He wants to know you, He wants to be known by you. And then He'll change your life if you truly live for Him. The last one is this. It says, God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood, He did this to demonstrate His justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now listen, the last word I want you to think about is demonstration. The cross was a demonstration of God's justice. It was a, it was a, a, a way that, that God could be just and do justice but justify us. It was God's way of righteousing the unrighteous. Does that make sense? That, That the righteous one who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. It's the demonstration that God's saying, listen, all those sins that y'all think I forgot about, uh uh-uh, I haven't forgot about those things. All those sins that you've committed, I haven't forgot about that. All the sins that you're going to commit, I know about those. Isn't that crazy? God knows what you're going to do all the times. You're going to be so jacked up, you turn your back on him. And he still says, I know that. But listen, I still put my son on the cross so that you could be justified. He demonstrated his justice upon Christ so that it wouldn't have to fall upon us. Wow. That's incredible. How many of you have ever seen something happen to somebody and it freaks you out because you're like, that could have been me? Anybody ever like set at a red light and, and you're, maybe you just ate a big lunch. I don't know. Maybe it's like two o'clock feeling. You need a five-hour energy drink, whatever it is. But... You, uh, you're sitting there and you're kind of in that daze for a moment. And you're kind of like, uh-huh. And you're just thinking, waiting on the r- light to move. But how many of you have ever started to move because the car next to you moved? Or the car in front of you moved? And actually the light's not green. It's just everybody's moving. And you're so kind of dazed and thinking about something else. Your mind's a million miles away. You start moving also? Yeah? Okay, I'm the only weird one. Um, but, okay, Joe. Joe and I are weird. And Sean. Okay, good. There's more weird people than I thought. But um, one time Susan was sitting at a red light. And I was behind her. And there was this lady in front of her. And there was a turn lane right here. I'm going to tell on Susan right now. Um, she'll get me. But the cars over here start moving. And I'm watching Susan. And it was the turn arrow came on. They start moving. And Susan just floors it, nails the car in front of her. I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, how did she? And so I'm like, I'm not even getting out. I'm like, I want to see how she gets out of this. And so I'm sitting there in the car, and I'm like, brr, 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 And so the person in front gets out and comes back there, and the lady goes, did that man behind you hit you? And I was like, if she says yes, I'm going to kill her, you know? And then finally she's like, no, ma'am. But she was in that day state, you know. And so, she, you know, we, we, we do that sometimes. And then another time I'm sitting at a stop sign, and um, there was a guy in front of me. And I'm sitting there kind of in that day state. Well, he starts to go. And right when he gets into the intersection of, of the street, another car comes by. Bam! I'm talking my nails and glass flies up in the air. I'm like, you know, it scared the mess out of me. I'm like, and then it hit me. I was like, man, that could have been me. I was like, oh my God. You know, it's just one of those things that the reality of that wreck and that impact came to life. And, and you know, I mean, like two seconds, the police are there and the ambulance were there. But it hit me. Man, that could have been me. And, and when we look at the cross, we need to see this. We need to see, man, that could be me. It's a demonstration of the justice of God that should have fallen on our life, but it fell on Christ. And somehow we, we, we let that go by. Somehow we just get up in the morning and it's just another day. If you are in Christ, you ought to rejoice and be happy because your joy is in your salvation. You ought to realize that Christ died. For, I can't do That hurts. And Christ died for you. And it is a demonstration of Christ, God's justice, but it is also a demonstration of his love because you and I don't have to go through that. We don't have to experience that. But here's the thing, and we gotta, woo, I gotta talk fast. Y'all hold on. If I get too fast, just, just go back and listen to the podcast. I gotta go five minutes, got a little bit more to cover. Here's the problem the problem is that for the church, the cross becomes a crutch. Instead of it being that God justifies us through the cross to live for Him, we justify ourselves to do what we want to do, don't we? Who does not do that? All of us do, right? All of us have that, that, that part in us. We can make a thousand or we can make a million reasons why we should eat a brownie, right? But how many excuses can we come up with to not go to the gym, right? I can come up with more than a million. I can think, about oh, my back hurts, my you know, head hurts. I've... And then we'll do this thing of entitlement where we're like, okay, I walked 20 minutes on the treadmill, so now I can eat a half gallon of ice cream and a pan of brownies. I do but you drink a Diet Coke, so that makes it okay, right? You do that. I remember my mom would be like, I'm going on a diet. She would get a Diet Coke and like a, a baby Ruth. I'm like, Mom, those don't cancel out. And, but, but we do those kind of things. We rationalize it away. Um, and, and I want to say this before we, we finish this up. Um, and it's another baseball illustration. I apologize. But, but it, I think it's a good one. Um, because there's some things we need to understand about this church and about the way we ought to be. Um, when I was playing, I played for a man named Jack Stallings, and an awesome baseball. I mean, I'd put him up against him. He was tops, man. Awesome baseball coach, but he could get on you like nobody else. I mean, he could, he, he invented cuss words. I swear, I, I know he had to. He had to come up, because he'd say to me, like, "Man, that's pretty good. I've never heard that before. And, and he'd just make up stuff. And, but if you, if you messed up on something, mostly like mental mistakes, he would just crawl you. He would get on you. If you made a mistake, he would tear you up. And so one day, we're playing a team that was not very good. We should have beat them very easily, but they were beating us like three to two. We had a man on first, and they sent me up to get a sacrifice bunt down. Um, and you know, to bunt the runner to second, to get him in scoring position with one out, hopefully drive him in score tie and run at least. So I go up and the guy's pitching and I get up there and I square around a bunt pitch comes high fastball. He probably did what he was taught to do through me, a high fastball kind of in, bunt it, not good. It went up right into the pitcher's glove. I mean, it didn't even hit the ground. I never left the batter's box. It was so bad. It was like, boom, out. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like, this is terrible. And then the longest, it might as well have been five miles from, from home plate to the dugout. And I'm walking. I'm like, he's going to kill me. He is going to cuss me. He is going to, you know, he's, I'll never see the field again. I walk in. I put my batting helmet up. I put my bat down. I walk all the way down to the other end of the dugout. And I sat down. And I was like, wow he didn't say a word and then it hit me i was like man i think that's worse than if he had cussed me out because i realized in that moment that because he wouldn't get after me because he wouldn't push me he didn't expect any more out of me it wasn't a surprise to him that i popped the bun up but see this is my thing with church guys and i want you to understand this we're not just going to come in here and sing, you know, sings a few songs and go home feeling good about it. I, want, I don't want to be somebody who comes in and just makes you feel good about yourself. I want to be a pastor that comes in and challenges you to be all that God created you to be. If we come in and we just sing kumbaya and I tell you how great you are and how awesome you are and how wonderful every thing in life is, then we're never going to get any better. I go to people every week and I'm like, what do I do wrong in the message? Tell me, man, help me, help me. I want to be better. I want to reach as many people for Christ as I can. How can I do that? And so I say that to say this, if we're going to be the church that was justified, the church that was worth Jesus dying for, there's some things we need to do. And see, I can see this in my head. I wish I could just put it on a video and show it to you because I see this church in my head that reaches so many people that, that, that this bit, listen, this service can be full. We come in here every week, and and, and it can be full, not with just people, listen, we don't have to go and steal folks from First Baptist, First Methodist. whatever, listen, there are plenty of lost people around the place. If we'll begin to do a few things, this service, your service, the service you come to every week can be full of people who have come to know Christ and have been justified by the cross, and I can see this, but listen, it's going to take some things, it's going to take a group of people who begin to be so passionate about Jesus that that everything else begins to fade away. The most important thing in our life is that we make him famous, that we lift him up so that when we come in, we come into a place where we are expecting God to bring somebody to salvation and the saving knowledge of Christ. It's got to be a church where, where we, we're so passionate about each other that, that there's no schism, there's no fracture, there's, there's nothing. We wouldn't allow something to come in. When we hear somebody talking bad about another church member, about somebody in general, we nip that junk in the bud because we don't want a root of bitterness growing up and defiling many. It's going to take us getting to a place where, where God is the most important thing in our lives. Come on, guys. If we can catch hold of this, if we can see this, do you know how many people God can bring to justification? That he can justify through receiving Christ. I was listening to a, a podcast this morning, and, and I'm listening to this guy, and he gives an invitation at the end, and like 200 people stood up to receive Christ. Listen, we baptized 26 this summer. Okay? That's pretty cool, right? I thank God for that. You know, if we got... If they, those things work. Um, you know, and, and we always say, well, if it's worth the one, you know, we, if we just got one, it's worth it. And you know, it is, but I don't believe that's all God can do. I believe that if we will begin to exalt him and lift him high, and we'll begin to do the things he's called us to do. Then he will begin to do amazing and incredible things. I want to give you three things real quick that we've got to quit doing. And then you can go. I'm going to be brief on these. I promise because I have to. The first one is this, we've got to quit living or justifying our lifestyle by the cross. We need to realize that we're, if we claim Christ, we are painting a picture for other people of who God is. God wants to live through you, to bear fruit through you that would entice other people to come to know him. He wants to place the truth in you so that you can share the truth with others so that they come to the justifying knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's time for us to quit justifying our lifestyles by the cross. We come to church for an hour and 15 minutes and then somehow that justifies us to do whatever we want to do outside of church. And that's not the way it works. That shows me that we don't really understand what God did for us because if we can view the mercy of God, we'll live for him. You've been bought, remember? Jesus bought you on the cross. He bought you from sin and death so that you can live for God, to set you free to live for him. The second one is this. We've got to quit being hoarders of our salvation. I mean, Anybody seen that show, Hoarders? Man, I was watching a clip from one other day, and the lady had like 30 cats in her house. Anybody see that? It was sick. There was cat poop everywhere. I mean, it was just nasty. And, and, uh, you know, and, and for us who, who own a home or who live in an apartment, what's typically the thing we need the most of? Storage. It was like, I don't want that house that doesn't have enough closet space. We build buildings to put our stuff in in our backyard, and then we add on to them because we have so much stuff. And see, hoarding is actually a mental disorder. It is a problem like they can't get rid of the stuff. But see, I think that we, the church, have a spiritual disorder because we hoard our salvation. We don't tell people. Man, listen, if we know what Christ did for us on the cross, how can we hold that in? Because I guarantee you, every one of you know multiple people who don't know Jesus. Let me tell you this. Just because they sit in a church pew on Sunday morning doesn't mean they know Christ. Just because they take communion don't mean they know Christ. Just because they write a check every month or every year to the church don't mean they know Jesus. Every one of us know people that don't know Christ. We need to quit hoarding the saving knowledge of Jesus and begin to share it. Listen, the people who have been impacted the most by this church, you know why they were impacted? Not because of me, because of you. Listen, I, I, I haven't changed anybody, but there are people in this room who have invited people left and right, left and right, left and right, who have come in here. God has touched their hearts and they have been changed forever. Right, Christy? Yeah. Man, come home. When you see the faces of people whose lives and eternity has been changed, how can you hold that in? We can't. We've got to quit hoarding it. And the last one is this. We've got to quit justifying being consumers Instead of contributors. If you walked into a restaurant. You walk into a restaurant. And the waitress comes up and shows you to the table. And then she sits down. And she says, I would like water with lemon. And she says, um, and, and then uh, I'd like my steak medium well. Uh, with a sweet potato. Make sure you bring you know the cinnamon and all that good stuff on it. Um, that wouldn't work with it. Would you go back to that restaurant? No. You wouldn't go back there. Just as crazy as that sounds, it is crazy for us to walk into the house of God and think that somehow we need to be served. Listen to this. Mark chapter 10. This is awesome. Mark chapter 10, 41 through 45, it says, when the 10 heard about this, this is James, Jesus dealing with his disciples and they want to be the greatest. Jesus says, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John because James and John had asked if they could sit at the right hand of Jesus. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen, right here, right here, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to serve right here. Jesus is equating greatness to serving becoming the least actually doing something not hoarding our salvation not just 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 going about life like nothing's happened to us but actually going and i'm not talking about wearing you out some of you been beat down i'm talking about just doing enough for people to come in and realize that christ is real listen you're not serving in the children's area because of just the kids that are over there we're going to pour into them you're serving for all the people who are in the community who don't know jesus if we don't serve, if we don't get in this game, and if we don't see the vision, we'll never get into it. If we don't see the fact that people can come to know Christ, we're going to miss the boat. But those kids over there, they need Christ. We need to pour in. We baptized five children last week. God's doing something in their lives. We need to be in there pouring into them and realize, people, that these seats can be full. We're not just doing this for people who know Christ. We're doing this for people who haven't even gotten here yet, who need to know Jesus. God didn't bring us this far to stop. We're coming up on a two-year anniversary. We're not stopping. God didn't say, do this for two years, see if you people come to know me and stop. God wants to revolutionize Statesboro, Georgia. I want to be a part of that. I want to see God do something that we can't take credit for. Right now, and I'm I'm way over. Right now, we're going to go into communion. It's only fitting we talk about the cross, we take Communion. Because it was his body that was nailed on that cross. It was the, the blood of Christ that was shed on that cross. And today we have the opportunity to come and partake of that. But this is a thing. We want you to stay, and we, we say this all the time, but I don't think anybody knows what it means. We want you to stay in an attitude of worship. That means don't pause. That means take some time to reflect. Take some time to think about what Christ did for you on the cross. That he redeemed you. He he, he appeased the anger of God. That he demonstrated His justice, the justice of God upon you. Upon him so you don't have to have that. And think about where is... Let God look in your heart, man. Open that thing up and let him deal with you on some stuff. Listen, this may be the day when you come and take communion. It may be the first time you take communion being saved. Today may be the day you give your life to Christ. And if it is, I hope you'll come back and talk to one of us and let us know that you've given your life to Christ because we want to help you walk this journey out. This is not the end of a journey. It's the beginning of a new life that comes through Jesus. We want to help you with that. But for the rest of us, we need to come to this time realizing, realizing, the band can come on up. We're going to play one more song as we take communion. Realizing that we have this incredible opportunity. To see God do something that we can't do. We can't manipulate somebody's heart changing. We can't manipulate um, people coming to know him. That is what God does. But you and I get to be a part of what he's doing. How cool is that? And so let's examine our hearts as the scripture says. And let's begin to uh, think about what Christ did for us.